Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Yesterday, I think it's a perfect illustration of what I mean when I say the NFL, as amazing as that product is, and it is, as amazing as that product is, it is a mother of a product to read and get a handle on. I mean, the epitome of any given Sunday For real. For real. In a weekend where the premier matchup of Patty v. A-Rod was put on the back burner over the latter's positive COVID-19 test, the league still produced some bleeping, unbelievable, and absolutely mind-blowing results. Just when you thought something was guaranteed, you end up eating a Justin Gaethje uppercut right in the face Am I right, Bills Mafia? And unfortunately, yes, Mafia, I have to start with you. If you're arguing that you are the team to beat in the AFC, and it looked like you might be coming in, and then you melt down, and you get embarrassed by Herb and the Jags, then unfortunately for you, yes, you're in the one hole, but for all the wrong reasons. I mean, I seriously cannot believe that I'm not starting this show by talking about America's team and America's quarterback showing the hell up and showing the hell out after one of the worst weeks in that building in recent memory. How could I not blast out of the gates on Monday with that? But then again, how could I? How could I, Mafia, when you were getting your heads handed to you by Herb in Jacksonville? I mean, I get that we are at a point where literally anything can happen under the shield, and anything will. Anything can happen on any given Sunday except that. You enter the game as not only a Super Bowl contender, but maybe the the Super Bowl favorite against an herb-led squad and an organization that has not won a football game on American soil since week one of the 2020 NFL season, and you bleeping lose. Not only lose, you lose. I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. You not only lose, you lose to a Jacksonville squad that was without their leading rusher and best offensive weapon in James Robinson. Their left tackle, a team that did not score a TD, didn't even play good football. And Dan Arnold was their leading receiver with a whopping 60 total reception yards. Seriously, how many of you listening even knew who Dan Arnold was, let alone that he was a member of the Jags? So what the hell happened? How did that happen? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Josh Allen on Josh Allen crime. That's what happened. Josh Allen, Jim. 5-0 and against the Bills in the past three seasons. Josh yeah. Allen. Josh Allen, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the toughest opponent will always be yourself. Am I right? Big head. Generally. Except that's not what this is. In your case, yes, head. And by the way, where the hell were you, head, on Friday? I saw you post a picture from the beach. So while all of us are back here just grinding it out amongst the rats and roaches... You're just hanging out at the beach. And not only do you not do your big head bet segment, but you have the gall to tweet it so then you can claim victory 
when in fact you had another winning weekend. That's right. Well played, Head. That's right, Mav. That's right. But no, this was not a matter of Josh Allen beating himself. No, this was the Jags, Josh Allen, giving the Bills, Josh Allen, the hands, the feet, the entire repertoire, landing cleanly all game long. I mean, the other Josh Allen was freaking everywhere. Except as far as the Bills Mafia is concerned, it was the wrong Josh Allen. Allen hit from behind, and there it is. A sack for Josh Allen against Josh Allen. Bills trying to pick it up. They can't. Allen throws. Intercepted. It's Josh Allen. Intercepting Josh Allen. Will Smith pitching to Will Smith. Can't believe these two fools. Eight tackles, one sack, one INT, and a fumble recovery to pretty much ice that game. He damn near beat the Bills all by himself. Third and a short two. Allen keeps it himself, runs right into DeJuan Smoot. The Jaguars come away with it. All indications were that Josh Allen was down, and now the other Josh Allen has the football. I'm telling you, the Bills' Josh Allen, meanwhile, he had been playing at an MVP clip all season long coming into that game. He had only four turnovers through seven games, yet he had three yesterday against Jacksonville. Against a Jags team who just got hammered by a Geno Smith-led Seahawks team the previous week, 31-7. And whose coach looked like at any second he would be asking for permission from ownership to talk with USC about their head coaching vacancy. And yet that guy and that team shut down the NFL's highest scoring offense entering that contest, and they won 9-6. to And Herb, if you're looking for credit, if there was ever a time that somebody deserved a night out Buddy. Buddy. It's not you. It's your boy, Josh Allen. Not you. Him. So you might want to make that happen for him, buddy. Buddy. That buddy needs a night out. Mafia. Are you kidding me? Hey, see, town I'm really sorry about that. I mean, believe me, as it was all playing out, I could not wait to get on the air and hype your squad like I have for the last few years, but I can't. Because as big as that win was over Cincy, and I'll get there. I've got lots of thoughts on that. It was not as big as the Bills' loss to Jacksonville. I mean, that is stunning. Hey, and by the way, Cowboy fan, the hell are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? Because while losing to the Jags might be the single most embarrassing thing that could happen to any NFL team right now, getting curb stomped by the Broncos isn't much better. And all that goodwill that your team had generated from that six-game winning streak, including that Halloween night win over the Vikings with your backup quarterback. Yeah, that pretty much is all right down the drain after yesterday's implosion against the Denver Broncos. Man, don't let that garbage time and okay stat line fool you either. Dak was not good. Dak had a bad day. Actually, he and his offense, which had come in averaging 40 per game at home, sucked to a thousand sucks. They suck to the power of a thousand sucks. My bad. To the power of a thousand sucks. They suck to the power of a thousand sucks. Actually, to be fair, it was not just Dak and the offense. Man, that was a team-wide effort. They all sucked to the power of a thousand sucks. The power of a thousand. Dropped passes, 
penalties, muffed block punts, and the bigger... Ah, nice, Alvy. I like the way you just dropped Muff! Very subtle. Very subtle. Oh, that too. Maybe a different use of the whoa, whoa, whoa word. I mean, we're talking about muffed block punts. And maybe a bigger concern right now as the season progresses. How about that defense? Particularly the run defense. That wasn't just leaking. Man, that damn near broke, yo. Yo. Dallas had the sixth best rush defense entering that game. And yet a bad Broncos running team or game gashed them. Gouged them for 192 yards. 192 yards without Denver's best offensive lineman, too. So that final score of 30-16 was really misleading. That was a wax job at Jarrah's world. What do you mean? And I got a question. 1-800-636-8686. Go ahead, jump up in here. I got a question. A question for the second coming of Vince Lombardi, Mike McCarthy. Hey, Big Mike, I know you've struggled with clock, clock management a few times. And you've struggled with when to use your timeouts this season. We could add another mind-boggling decision to that impressive coaching tape that you've been assembling in 21. What the hell was Dak Prescott doing in that game late, down 30 nothing with a jacked-up calf? Seriously, what was that guy still doing out there? Just curious. I mean, not to go all pinky and Manning cast on you, what the hell was that, Big Mike? Call time out, Mike. Is that part of that new age analytical-based coaching that y'all created in your year in the barn? If so, not good, big fella. Not good. Not good. Not I'll tell you good. something else not good, big fella. The fact that you went 0 for 4 on fourth down yesterday, big fella. And those two early non-conversions did hurt you. I mean, I'm not... I'm just saying, going for it on fourth can be a good thing. But it seems to me you're a little careless with it, dude. Now you're hitting on 35% of those decisions for the year. How's that data grab you? Time to get back in that barn and do some more analytical work because your decisions on fourth down are not working. Anyway, credit to Denver. Well done, Bronco fan. In your first game without Von Miller, no less. Your defense balled the hell out. Vic Fangio gets the biggest win of his tenure there and one that he had to have and one that the team had to have. Speaking of Von Miller, yes, I was on the NFL today on CBS yesterday. Yes, I was hyping the Rams and Von Miller. Yes, I was hyped for that game. And then right before the game, you find out that Von is not going to go. Huh? Speaking of Von Miller and the Rams, what a junk kick leading up to kickoff to find out that he was not going to suit up against Tennessee last night. Honestly, it seemed like most of the Rams, including Matthew Stafford, also did not suit up last night, especially early on for Stafford when he started to embrace his inner Carson Wentz. Stafford gets the snap. He's back to pass. He looks. He looks. Pressure coming. Stafford hit in the end zone. He throws and it's intercepted. Picked off by the Titans. Back inside the five-yard line. Stafford was being thrown to the turf and trying to get rid of it. And then a sidearm throw from Stafford was intercepted by David Long. I mean, I've seen that play 
15 times, and I still can't believe that happened. Not that guy. Not that guy. Not with that team. Maybe with the Lions. Maybe. So he's channeling his inner Carson Wentz. And then just as badly, he channeled his inner Matthew Schaub. Stafford to be gone on first and 10. Takes the snap. Back to pass. Quick pass right side. That's intercepted by Byard. Down the near sideline. Into the end zone. Touchdown Titans. Kevin Byard with a pick six. My man, Kevin Byard, man. Hell yes. I don't root, but jungle karma. What a ball player Kevin Byard is. Now I love that guy. What a great play. So in the first game without Derrick Henry, that Titans defense made it known pretty quickly. Hey, yo, we got this. We got this. We are more than willing to assume the team's new identity without King Derrick. Fact is, that defense is good. It's good now. A year ago, they weren't. They're good now. In fact, a year ago, they were pretty horrible on third down. Now they're getting after the quarterback. They weren't last year. They weren't good on third down, and they weren't good at getting after the quarterback, and now they're good at both. Jeffrey Simmons did his best Aaron Donald impersonation on the big stage last night, and he and his teammates carried them to this dub. Titans fan, let me just say this. 192 total yards on offense is not going to get it done come playoff time. You know this. You got to be better offensively, but in your first game without the best running back in football, how could you not be geeked? Geek the way your guys showed up. Titans are now 6-0 this season against playoff teams from last year. I don't know how closely you've been paying attention to it. I think a lot of you kind of wrote them off. They're 6-0 against playoff teams from last year. They've got the best record in the AFC. And when a lot of you are starting to get kind of tired of Mike Vrabel and starting to question Mike Vrabel, look at him now. As for the Rams, you know, I want to say that that's a team that was totally unrecognizable to me last night. But the fact of the matter is, this is the team that shows up like that sometimes. Like, they're the most disciplined team in the NFL, but last night they were anything but. They committed 12 penalties, and they were averaging just under four a game this year. So what I'm saying to you is, when the Rams lose, man, they lose like that. They're a perfect example of give me an A or give me an F. The 2022 Rams. They're 7-2. and two. They have looked like Super Bowl contenders in seven games for the most part, but in their two losses, they were not competitive. The 28-16 loss and that earlier 37-20 beating at the hands of Arizona. I guess what I'm saying is flush it and move on again, Sean. We're going to flush it and move on. So let me drop some numbers on you. Scary numbers. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness, and there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. So why don't we talk for a minute about Keeps. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. And low-cost treatments starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. On top of that, discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. 
But here's something you got to keep in mind. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome. And get your first month free, keeps.com slash Rome. He is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, good to have you back, my man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jim. Happy to be back on with you. Good to have you back on. All right, so let me ask you first. Let's start with Green Bay, if you don't mind. It was a rough week for Aaron Rodgers. He goes into COVID protocol. He's ineligible for yesterday's game against the Chiefs because he was unvaccinated and then pretty much hit that fire with some gasoline when he lashed out at his critics. Did you yourself ever suspect that he was unvaccinated? And then how do you make or what do you make of the way he handled it in the aftermath? No, I didn't suspect that because I, like a a number of people, sort of used immunized and vaccinated synonymously. And, of course, he took that word carefully. And in that particular phrase, he did not lie. And I would argue that he was being his most truthful in that he was immunized. It was everything after that where he was sort of saying those guys who are unvaccinated, sort of pitting himself as a person who was vaccinated, when, of course, that was not the case. And then to go along with that, of course, the Green Bay Packers uh, very apparently continued that ruse. They knew that he was unvaccinated. They understood the protocols. They knew that in a team facility, you had to be masked. And they put unvaccinated uh, players on Zooms. But uh, Aaron Rodgers was the one unvaccinated player that we know of who took part in these in-person press conferences. As draconian as these protocols may be to Aaron Rodgers, as unjust as they may be to him, to, to borrow his quote of Martin Luther King Jr., which was really astronomical uh, when, he, when he said that. So all of those things, no, I did not know that. And now he is in uh, the sort of embarrassment that he wanted to avoid in the first place. And if you go back, Jim, to late August, when we, the media, were asking all of these athletes that they were vaccinated, not because we care about their personal medical history, but, you know, number one, we know that a vaccination status could impact whether a guy can play in a game or not, that's important to us, as well as we're in person with these folks. I know that the media member beside me at this interview is vaccinated and is wearing a mask, and I assume the same of the person that's up there at the podium. Um, but I, I just I, I, I didn't like how he went about it, how he lashed out at the critics. He could have simply said, it's a personal decision, I'm not vaccinated. And yes, he would have had the backlash on August the 26th into August the 27th. And you know what? We as a sports media would have moved on to the next thing a day later, like we did with Carson Wentz, like we did with Lamar Jackson, even like we did with Kirk Cousins after his plexiglass comments. It eventually goes away because we find something else to talk about. Instead, Aaron Rodgers did this, and now we've talked about it for almost a week. I agree with you, and I did start this Monday by asking you about it again. All right, so Jonathan Jones, my guest. Never mind, let me move on then to Jordan Love. Never never mind Jordan Love against Patrick Mahomes, because that's not what that was. That was Jordan Love against the Chiefs defense, arguably the worst defense in the NFL, and he couldn't get anything going at all. I understand it was his first start. I understand it was in less than ideal circumstances, but Jonathan, that's what management wanted, and he did struggle. So how concerned should the Packers be about what they saw from him yesterday? Well, they should be concerned insofar as they don't really have a season without Aaron Rodgers, and that's what they knew uh, dating back to the, the day of the draft when the first report came out that he wanted out of Green Bay, and that's why they made the sort of concessions that they made to him in July to get him to uh, return because they knew that 
they did not have a championship window with Jordan Love. I'm not going to sit here and say that draft that moving up to be in the position to draft Jordan Love was a mistake just yet for the Green Bay Packers. So far, it appears to be a pretty big mistake by the Green Bay Packers. Certainly, you rubbed Aaron Rodgers the wrong way in your handling of it. Brian Gutekunst, the GM, we talked plenty about this in the summer and late into the summer. Uh, but he is not prepared to lead this football team. That's not a crazy thing to say about a second-year quarterback, a guy who probably wasn't ready even when he was a rookie quarterback to go into any situation in the NFL and be successful, but certainly not of one of a quarterback who has barely gotten any first-team reps over the past year and a half with his team because Aaron Rodgers, the the, the reigning MVP, has been there. So I'm not going to put too much on to Jordan Love. He sort of is what he is, and the Packers should have known that all along, but uh, certainly there's a reason that they wanted Aaron Rodgers, that, that they tried to keep Aaron Rodgers, and it wasn't for that sort of, oh, we don't want to set a precedent, as we hear NFL teams talk so much about in this era of player empowerment. They just realized there's not a chance we get back to the NFC title game if we have to turn to Jordan Love and let Aaron Rodgers go. Hey, Jonathan Jones joining us. So if he is what he is, and I certainly thought the Jags are what they are, just as I thought the Bills are what they are, but nothing is what it seems or appears. The hell happened to Buffalo, Jonathan? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happened to them. And, you know, maybe they are not the team that we were really ready to crown and say, all right, you're going to beat the elite teams and you're never going to have a drop-off. You know, look, teams in the NFL this year, I think we've seen it, right? We've seen the Jets beat a couple of teams they had no business beating, uh, including the Titans, who right now are rattling off win after win against the top teams in the NFL. And so uh, maybe up is down and left is right in this NFL season, and there is no more home field advantage. And I don't think that we need any more years of data to sort of bear that out. It's, it has essentially, effectively disappeared. But when you look at the Buffalo Bills, I, I, I can't say I saw this one coming. You just had a Jacksonville Jaguars team that Trevor Lawrence looked like it was impossible for him to complete a pass based on what the other 10 guys around him were doing against the Seattle Seahawks. And Urban Meyer had still yet to win a game in North America. And that the Buffalo Bills coming into town, no question it was going to be a 20-point win. So I don't know what happened with the Buffalo Bills. I believe in that defense. I thought this was going to be a game for Josh Allen to start padding his MVP stats because he has a couple of softies coming up next week and the week after in terms of defenses. I was prepared to lift him up into the MVP discussion as the number one guy once we got to around Thanksgiving. And now this loss to the Jaguars on the road makes you certainly rethink, listen, Buffalo may very well play in the AFC title game. I don't think I want to erase them from that bracket in the AFC title game after this game, but I think it just continues to reinforce for us that the NFL is in any given Sunday league this season especially. No doubt. Jonathan Jones joining us. And as you mentioned, Tennessee is on top right now in the AFC. Jonathan, where do the Patriots fit in? I bring this up because I, like you, I worked yesterday and I was talking about them on the NFL today. And yeah, great. They beat Carolina. Not super impressive in and of itself. But to me, it's kind of how they did it as opposed to that they did it because they've been coming on and looking better and more consistent week after week. Do the Patriots have your attention and how dangerous does hoodies crew look to you right now they look dangerous and you know that was a, a carolina panthers defense that is pretty good that they were still able to put some points up on the board now it helped that they were facing sam darnold who i, I i'm that not always say we all, yeah i'm not gonna say we owe adam Gase an apology 
Uh, but Sam Darnold has certainly come crashing back down to earth, right? And uh, the, the Patriots, I think, we're seeing that defense. We're seeing what those linebackers, especially Kyle Duggar is a name that Patriots fans know, NFL folks, I don't think the casual observer necessarily knows. Adrian Phillips is another player. They're coming down and they're playing these linebacker hybrid safety roles. They're at the line of scrimmage. They are stopping the run. And that's what Bill Belichick's defense does. And, you know, it, they hit that sort of ebb uh, over the last year plus. But I think that we're seeing a return uh, of this defense. Should they gotten a little bit more for Stephon Gilmore? Sure. But um, overall, I think that this is a Patriots defense that if the Bills put another clunker out there like they just did this past week, you really have to start wondering, hey, is this an AFC East that's all sewed up and hemmed up for the Buffalo Bills or are the Patriots with the greatest coach in NFL history with uh, the best rookie quarterback in his class that you can properly evaluate with all due respect to Trevor Lawrence and what's happening in Jacksonville. And, I, and, and the defense and what it's doing, I really truly think that you start looking at this Patriots team and say, all right, if, if 11 and a half wins is the break point for whether you win the AFC East or get the wild card, I might take the Patriots right there at, right there at 11, uh, I think, could, could get it done getting them into the wild card. And then, of course, they can make some noise in January. I don't think that's unfair. All right, so really quickly, I'm glad you brought up Darnold. I was going to ask you, the hoodie made him look bad, really bad. No surprise there. He makes a lot of young quarterbacks look bad. But the problem for Darnold is it's not a Belichick thing. And to your point, it's not a Jets thing. It looks like a Darnold thing. How much longer before the Panthers just rip the plug on this guy? Well, that's the issue is what are you going to do next? you you got P.J. Walker sitting there as an option. We saw him a little bit two weeks ago against the Falcons, but I think he only threw one pass. The one time he did start, he was thrown into the fire against the Detroit Lions. He threw two red zone interceptions. On his Carolina Panthers career, he has five interceptions. That's your backup option. Now, remember, the Carolina Panthers did not want Sam Darnold off the top. They wanted Matthew Stafford, couldn't get him, couldn't match the Rams' price. They wanted Deshaun Watson. We all know what's been going on with Deshaun Watson, and they continued to want Deshaun Watson. They are very clearly going to be in the quarterback market this offseason, and it does not matter that they've already picked up the fifth-year option on Sam Darnold. And, of course, let's not forget they had Teddy Bridgewater, but the owner, David Tepper, was over Teddy Bridgewater, and he wasn't going to be back in 2021. It seemed that Sam Darnold was the best of their remaining options, and before anyone out there listening wants to say, well, how about the former Carolina Panthers quarterback, you know, perhaps the greatest franchise quarterback in organization history, I just think that that is not going to happen. There needed to be a a clean break and a fresh start there for both parties, but especially Matt Rule and his regime and under-owner David Tepper. I do not see Cam Newton making a return to Carolina. If he makes a return anywhere this year, I don't think it's going to be him donning the Superman cape and flying back into Charlotte. Right on Mark. Senior NFL reporter and an insider for CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ, he is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, appreciate you again. As always, thanks so much. Thank you. So let me ask you something, and you tell me, does this sound familiar? You've got that one device that allows you to catch the game live, and then another that lets you stream your favorite shows, and you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbors, best friends, dads, moms, login for all the good stuff. Yet, let me tell you a better way, a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorite together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports movies and shows in one place 
That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Say what you want about Baker Mayfield, and a lot of you have. And when I say say what you want about Baker Mayfield, say what you want about whether or not you think that he's a franchise quarterback. Let me tell you something. This guy handled himself on the field and off the field like a franchise quarterback this week. This guy could not have handled this week, a really difficult week, any better than he did both on and off the field. I want to be so clear about that. Baker Mayfield could not have handled that week any better than he did. Just like Odell and his dad and LeBron could not have handled it any worse than they did. Not only did Baker and his teammates play well without ODB, not only did they win without ODB, they played their best game in their biggest game without ODB. And you can't say that's a coincidence. Baker kept it the hell together while still playing with a completely jacked up wing. And they rallied around him. And they rallied around themselves. And they kicked the living hell out of the Bengals. And I, for one, could not have been more impressed. Because while I was not inside that facility this week, I didn't need to be to know how jacked up that situation was. And to know that it's the type of thing that can poison a locker room and wreck a team and its corresponding season. Especially if they don't believe in their quarterback. But that clearly was not the case. They didn't blink. And he didn't blink, and they knew they could still accomplish their goals even without Beckham. Especially without Beckham if he doesn't want to be there. I'm not saying that all of them wanted him out, but I'm saying if he doesn't want to be there, they're much better off without him. Like, think about that for a minute. Logistically, that doesn't seem to make sense. But factually, it's true. It doesn't seem to make sense that Baker Mayfield would be a better quarterback without one of the most talented receivers in the game. But it's true. It's a fact. It's not an opinion. He just is. Data don't lie. This data don't lie. This data don't lie. Look up the numbers. He's just a better quarterback without Beckham. He's better without him, and the Browns overall are better off without him. Again, because he doesn't want to be there. So they made an enormous statement and they sent a huge message in a game they had to have. I'm going to argue their entire season hung in the balance of that game. They had to have that game. Message being, we're still America's team. We still have America's quarterback, even if he does have a completely jacked up shoulder. Because, and not to be trite and not to be cliche, but there ain't nothing wrong with that dude's heart. There probably aren't too many people listening, for example, that wouldn't say, hey, given the choice, I'm taking Joe Burrow over Baker Mayfield every damn day of the week. Go ahead, ask yourself that question. Who would you rather have? If you had to start a franchise right now, or if you had to rebuild a franchise right now, who would you rather have, Burrow or Baker? I'm going to say that probably 98% of you would say Joe Burrow. And I get that. I get that. Burrow is special. He is. 
But this is what Baker does. This is why I've had this guy's back. This is what he does. He just wins. He finds a way to get it done. And he did it again. And he did it after his most challenging week as a pro. This is why they're still America's team. This is why he's still America's quarterback. Again, I could not be any more impressed with what I saw from Mayfield and the Browns yesterday. Like Odell. Odell is still not talking, so I really don't know what it is. But Odell wanted away from that? Like, why do you want away from that? They just beat the hell out of a divisional rival in a game they had to have. It was awesome for them. Why would you not want to be a part of that? Well, I think we know the answer, even if he's not saying. Because he wasn't getting his numbers. Because he wasn't getting the ball. Because he wasn't getting his shine. Because he wasn't the man. In other words, winning was not enough. I think he wants to win badly. I'm not saying that's the case. Or not the case. He wants to win, but he wants to win on his terms. He wants to win and be the man. Now, I'm not saying him being upset about not getting numbers and not getting the ball is the worst thing in the world. It's not. He's not the first. He won't be the last. Guys get paid on numbers. I understand that. It doesn't make him a bad guy. But clearly, he's picking stats over the team. His numbers over the team. He wanted out because he didn't get the ball as much as he wanted. He didn't feel like he was getting his shine. Never mind that you've got a number of go-to playmakers on that offense who have never complained, who are really happy to be a part of it, who came together when they had to have it. Odell was not happy there. You know, I don't know if that's guys in his ear. I don't know if that's just him not being happy. He's not happy there. He wasn't, period. period. He wasn't. So he bounced. So he forced his way out. Again, not the only guy to do it. We saw James Harden go James Larden, and it worked. We saw AD go AD, and it worked. I'll give you something else to think about. When I was on the NFL Today on CBS yesterday, Bill Cowher posed the question on air, on the show. And he said, if it were me, I would ask the player, would you rather have eight catches and lose or three receptions and win? And if the player hesitates, I know the answer. That was the coach, Bill Cowher, Hall of Famer. Thing is, Odell didn't hesitate. He thought he was in the wrong system with the wrong quarterback, so he bounced. And the fact is, as hard as it is to believe, as counterintuitive as it sounds, as illogical as it sounds, they're better off without him. They just are. Number one, they proved it yesterday. And number two, they're better off without him because it was broken and he didn't want to try to fix it any longer. Of course, they're better off without him. Now, now we're going to see if Beckham is better off without them. Now we're going to find out how much Odell has left. Now we're going to find out whether or not at this point in his career at age 29, if he's worth the headache. I know the Browns are better off without him. I saw it yesterday. I've seen it every time he hasn't played. Their numbers are better without him. They are. Now we're going to see if he made the right move for himself. Because maybe he did. It might be a win-win. Because I guarantee if Bill Cowher were to ask Beckham that question, hey, Odell, would you rather catch eight passes and lose or catch three and win? I guarantee Beckham would say, hey, man, if I caught eight, there's no way we would lose. But I can't catch eight if you don't get me the ball. 
To which I'm sure the Browns would say, we can't get you the ball if you run the wrong routes. To which I'm sure Beckham would say, my routes are fine. I've got the wrong quarterback. And round and round we go. You know, like rat. Thank you, Alvin. This is why we ended up where we ended up. Baker proved that he is the right quarterback. And the Browns are going to be fine without Beckham. We saw that yesterday. Now let's see how this plays out for Odell because he was the one who wanted out. And I I love the way Baker handled it in the aftermath saying, he's still a good friend of mine. I wish him well. I really do. And by the way, this might work out well for Odell. Maybe he's right. Maybe it was the wrong fit in the wrong offense with the wrong quarterback and he gets another opportunity and he ends up on a contender. He just better hope he doesn't get claimed by some scrub. I just know this. Baker could not have handled that any better, and Team ODB could not have handled that any worse. As an example, I didn't see Baker's dad posting iPhone vids of this perfect bomb to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Play action, fake to Chubb, in the pocket, loads up, going long, Peoples-Jones is out there, he's got it, 10-5, touchdown! And there is the explosive play. They just exploded. 60 yards, one play. And the Browns have opened up a 20-7 lead. Perfect ball. Perfect dime. I didn't see Baker's dad posting video of that, then jumping into the comments section and talking junk and hashtagging everything. I didn't see Baker's dad in the comments or posting that video and hashtagging it explosive or hashtagging it tight window or hashtagging it our QB or hashtagging it Odell who or hashtagging it Rome was right or hashtagging it America's quarterback or hashtagging it scoreboard or hashtagging it tell me how my ass taste or hashtagging it Cleveland this is for you Or hashtagging it, how long you out, LeBron? Or hashtagging it, mind your own damn business. None of that. Clones, what do we do when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Let me answer that by telling you what we don't do. We don't reach for a bar or a sugary snack or an energy drink. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky shriveled, dry, tasteless. Nope. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. Old Trapper is in a clear view bag, so you can see the quality you're buying. So look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Jamie Chadwell is my guest. Jamie, good to have you back. How are you? 
Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on. Good. Good to have you back on. So you went into Georgia Southern without your star quarterback, Grayson McCall. In bad weather, you hammer out a really nice win on the road against a conference foe. Let me start right there. What did your team show you in overcoming the loss of the quarterback and the elements and in a tough place to play and get it done the way they did? Well, Jim, I think that just shows you their character and, and, and just the toughness. And I think Anytime that you play with a backup quarterback, that's a challenge to do it in the weather that we did in a place that we've never won. That just adds to it. But I think that shows you what type of team we have and mentality that's just the next man up. And I was proud of the way we played and competed to get a big win. All right, so the thing about that is, Jamie, that's a tough guy to next man up. I mean, I understand you have no choice, but that's a tough guy to next man up when you look at your quarterback and the productivity that you have from him. So what was your message to Bryce Carpenter going into that game? And then what did you make of the way he handled himself and the way he played? Well, the thing with Bryce is, you know, he has started some games for us, 10 over his career. So he's been in some games. And what was funny, Jim, he was the starter in 2019. We played in the exact same weather over there and got beaten triple overtime. And he was craving for his opportunity. And, and I said, hey, just go play your game, take care of the ball, and let your let your playmakers make plays for you. And I think he did a great job for us. Jamie Chadwell joining us. One more thought about that. Like, what's how much confidence do you have as a head coach in knowing you've got a guy like that in Carpenter? You know, a guy who's not going to blank, a guy who you know is going to find a way one way or another a guy who keeps himself ready and a guy who's going to make enough plays to always give the team a chance how much confidence does that give the coach knowing you've got somebody like that in that spot well it's huge because you know typically if you don't have somebody like that you know you're maybe you're not calling certain things in a game because you're just doing your best to protect your starter obviously which you know we try to do anyway because of Grayson being so good but it gives you just gives you a confidence uh, and, and you relax knowing, hey, this guy's been here before. We can go out and still do the things we need to do, and he'll make plays to help you find a way to win. And, and it's a huge comfort zone. You don't get that every year, and for us to have that, uh, you know, is a big deal for us. All right, so he was ready to go. What about Grayson? Like, what is his status, and what are the chances that we see him again this year? Well, you know, we're hoping that we do. It's, it's, it's an upper body injury where uh, there's no – uh, it's not an it's not a, a surgery type injury, but it's it's a pain and a healing deal. Uh, you know they've said indefinitely, meaning we just have to wait and see how he reacts to medicine, how he reacts to rehab. We're hoping he comes back, and that's our that's a being positive with it. We're preparing as easy as if he's not. But uh, I will say this about him: his, his body heals well typically, and so uh, our anticipation is that we'll see him again. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Coastal Carolina head coach Jamie Chadwell is joining us once again. You know, it's you might say to me that we probably could have finished a little bit better. I don't want to nitpick. That's a really nice one on the road. But might that have been one of the more complete games when you consider all facets of the game that you've played all season long? I would agree. Uh, the fourth quarter we could have finished and really put some points we didn't. But for the, through three quarters, the way the defense, the way the offense took care of the ball, special teams, we got a we got a block punt for a touchdown right before halftime, and then we also got a fumble recovery. Very complete. And, and I said that after the game. I thought from 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 start to about through the fourth quarter there, and, and especially considering the circumstances, are definitely our most complete game. I don't think that's a coincidence, right? You have always, and as most would, but you've always had a really strong emphasis on special teams. That you can get an edge in special teams. How pleased were you to get that block punt and? To see that unit show up the way they did in the elements. 
It's been huge. Uh, you know, and I, I think we've, we've blocked three punts this year, and they've all, they've all been just tremendous plays for us, and that was with zero time to go in the second quarter, to be able to finish it with a touchdown, put us up three scores. And I think also in special teams what goes unnoticed is your punt returner catching the ball in bad weather, your holder holding the ball, your long snapper. We've, we've excelled in that the last two weeks. We've had terrible weather in the last two weeks. Our, our guys have done a great job of that. And our whole thing about special teams is provide a winning edge, and they've done that for us. I mean, it seems like kind of a silly question, Jamie, but how can you practice for that? Like, to your point that there's so much that goes into playing in bad weather, is there any way to actually, like, simulate that or practice for it or prepare for it? Well, you know, what we do, what we do is for our for our long snappers and our holders, we have we have a wet ball drill. When we do our pre-practice and they're snapping and all that, we make it, we soak them in water so they hopefully they're used to trying to catch a heavy ball. And then we do the same thing during individual with our skill guys. We'll do an individual ball security, and the water and the and the and the balls are soaked with water, and we just dump them with water, dunk them in a big tub, and hopefully that's at least preparing them for something that's a little bit different. Now, whether that's what's the key is, I don't know. But uh, we think it is, so we, that's what we do. No doubt. Jamie Chadwell is joining us. You know, you and I have talked about this in the past, but when you consider what you've built there and continue to build there, it's kind of astonishing. Like, you take over a program that had moved up to the FBS level only a couple of years earlier. You go 5-7, and seven, then you go 11-0. You have a team in the top 10. This year, you're 8-1. and one. You're nationally ranked once again. Again, for those who have not heard this conversation, Jamie, what was your mindset when you came in, and then how were you able to turn that thing around as quickly and dramatically as you have? Well, I think when you first come in, one, you, when you just make the move, you, you're the bottom floor, right? And so everything you do, you get a chance to build a foundation you hope that's rock solid lasts for a long time. So there was, there's an excitement coming in knowing, hey, we're building something from the very bottom floor, and you get a chance to really make some type of cool tradition at this level. Now, it was challenging. It was hard. Uh, but what we, what got us to this point was getting young people to buy into a vision that wasn't here but they wanted to leave a legacy. They wanted to make an impact and be the very first to do something. And our whole program was built off of that, built off these values that, hey, this is who we want to be about, and we'll get there. It might take us a little while, but once we do, it's going to be pretty special. And we got young people to buy into that vision when everybody else thought, hey, they're not going to be good. They can't do it. They're not good enough. And our guys said, you know what, we can be good enough. And it's been the last two years have been just tremendous to be a part of, to see all that work, that sacrifice, uh, come to fruition. So is there something else that I'm missing right here? Is there something more to that pitch and something more to that conversation that we want to do something special and you have a chance to be a part of this in ground floor? I mean, is that essentially the pitch or is there more to it than that? How do you get a bunch of young guys to buy in and see something that they can't really see physically? Well, I think they have to have a common purpose. And the purpose that, that we try to build around, we talked about doing it, doing it, you know, very the first to do it. But also, all, majority of these people were told they weren't good enough to play at this level. So they had a purpose that proved people wrong. They had a chip on their shoulder. And when you have something, a chip that drives you a motivation beyond just winning, it has to be more than winning. Everybody wants to win. It has to be beyond that. And they took that to say, hey, you know what, we can, we can play at this level. We are good enough. We're going to do this together and show people that we are FBS football players. Because majority of them were told they weren't good enough, and they won three games and five games and never could get over the hump. And it was that, it was that additional motivation beyond just winning that got us to where we are. And now they, that's the expectation. Before it was just hope. Now this is exactly what they know they need. Uh, and it's carried on to our, our teams that come in, our, our freshmen and all those people. Now they know this is the standard you have to live up to. Yeah, is that something like there's a big, big difference between expectation and hope? That Jamie, that chip on the shoulder thing, like I'm not going to say that you have to have that in order to succeed. Like there are really talented people that don't run on that kind of fuel. 
but part of me wonders, can anybody really accomplish anything amazing without having at least some sort of chip on their shoulder? Where do you come out? I, I don't think so. I mean, look look at the greatest ever. Let's say Tom Brady, arguably the greatest ever. The chip that he had, he's still trying to prove that he wasn't a six-round draft pick, <laughs> right. that he was better than all those other people, right? He's a seven-time Super Bowl winner. So, I, I mean, everybody has to play for beyond just the winning, beyond for just money or just beyond being All-American. There's got to be something bigger. And I think if you have something to prove constantly, then you strive to always be better. Uh, and then you know that just reaching one pinnacle is not enough. You want to continue to see how high you can go. And I think if you get a group of people bought into that, then you can win at places where people are going, how do you do that? Yeah, hey, you can't win here anymore. You can't win there. You don't have this or that. But people that have something to prove, they don't care about those things. They just care about the opportunity before them. So what do you think about that? Like, why why does that guy still have that chip? For instance, he proved everybody wrong. He proved his point. He's got the chips. He's got the rings. He's got the life. He's got the money. He's got everything. Why do you suspect a guy like that is still willing to pay that price? Does he just love the process and the grind? Or how do you maintain that fire and that chip after you've accomplished everything already? Well, I think two things. I think, one, he does love it. And I think, too, you never forget the emotion or the feeling when somebody doubts you and somebody doesn't believe in you. You never forget that. That's why you see people still driving to be their very best at, at, at later, later in life because somebody doubted them at one time. And, and in their mind, I know for me, you're still trying to prove that person wrong. And all it has to take is one. You know, one person that didn't believe in you. In his case, it was 31 teams that didn't believe him, and he's still trying to prove all 31 wrong. But there might be somebody that doubted you. And that continues to drive you until you're done playing. And I think that's why I think that's why you see that just continue. I've got somebody to prove that, hey, I am the best. So you just kind of personalized that, Jamie. So who who or when did somebody doubt you that stayed with you? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I look at it from a coaching standpoint, you you believe in yourself and then you start doing something, and then maybe maybe a you know, an administrator, an A D or somebody, you know, you're just not good enough to do it at this level. I've been told that. You can't do it at this level. What you do, you can't do it at this level. Hey, your offense will never work. I've been told that. I've been told that since basically 2011. Your offense won't work at the FBS level. Hey, you can't do it at this level. All that that's gimmicky stuff, and so that drives you, uh, and uh, to prove that hey, I believe in what we do, and I believe in this mission and the why, my purpose of why I was put to be a coach, and that continues to drive me uh, to this day because um, anytime you're doubted, you want to prove people that. Hey, no, we can get this done, and and so that's 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 sort of the purpose and the drive for me. I like it. Head coach of Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, joining me for another moment or so. Let me go sidebar with you really quickly. You posted some Halloween pics on social media, which I thought was awesome. Awesome because they were awesome, and awesome because a lot of guys in your position in season just are not going to make time for something like that. Why was that so important to you to carve out that quality time with the fam and to get those pictures up? Well, one, uh, one, I love Halloween, and uh, I want my family, I want my children. Football's tough. Being a coach is tough. You're going. I want them to know that uh, their daddy puts them before anything else, uh, and to be able to show that, I want to be there for those things that they are going to remember a lot of. And Halloween's one of them. And obviously, I'm raising them right because I'm raising them on the Saved by the Bell and and those things. So you know, I'm getting them in the '80s and '90s. So I'm trying to raise them the right way. Uh, but that's important that I want to be involved with them and, and the things that I enjoyed as a kid. I don't, I don't want to ever 
not enjoy with them because uh, there's a reason why you do a lot of the things that you do to be able to to uh, provide for them. And, and we're going a lot in the times that I am here, even during the season. You can't worry about what other people think. I don't re- I don't report to other people. You know, my wife's important and obviously my family, and I wanted to enjoy that. And we had a great time. Got some candy, got a little fat on it, but it was a heck of a time. I love it. Last thought, you kind of intercepted my final question, but whose idea was it to dress the fam as the cast of Saved by the Bell? Pops? You- you're going to you're gonna laugh at this. It was actually my children. Two oh. years ago, we went as Goonies. We went as Goonies, and that was our, my wife and I's idea. And we said, all right, kids, it's your turn. Uh, and they, they started watching Saved by the Bell, and, and they wanted to be Kelly Kapowski and Lisa Turner and all those. And we said, hey, let's go. It's hard to try to find a show that get five of you in there. But uh, they loved it. Listen, if it was their choice, then you're right. You are raising them the right way. He is the head coach of Coastal Carolina. He was the 2020 National Coach of the Year. They're 8-1, they're 4-1, and they're hosting Georgia State Saturday. Jamie Chadwell, my guest. Jamie, great to get caught up. Thanks so much. Always good to have you on this show. Thank you again. Appreciate you. I've got to talk to you about the most amazing product, my X chair. <laughs> my X chair is insane. I mean, it's incredible. I never actually look forward to getting to the office, to sit in my office chair until I got my X chair. As an example, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking crazy technology with my x chair and once you feel the customized support of x chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or dvl your back will never be happy in any other chair again take my advice try x chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days once you realize how much better your chair should be you will never go back trust that go to xchairrome.com that is the letter x chair R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's XChairRome.com, XChairRome.com. Kenny Moore II joins me right now. Kenny, it's good to have you back. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me again. It's good to have you again, Kenny. Let me ask you something. I'm curious. When you have a nice win the way you did on Thursday night, how do you spend the following Sunday? Like, are you like the rest of us in front of your TV, or are you looking to get away from it for a minute or two? Um, You definitely want to get away for a minute, but on Sunday I was looking at a few games. I was looking at uh, Cleveland, and uh, I believe they played Cincinnati, um, and I watched Sunday night's game, so that, that was a good one as well. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. What were your thoughts about Cleveland and the way they showed up at Cincinnati and that beating they put on the Bengals? Yeah, they went there with a plan, and we can all see that it all worked out. So uh, it was good to see uh, Anthony Walker. I, I played I played with him for several years in Indianapolis, so it was good watching, having time to watch him. Right. Kenny Moore II is joining us. One more thought about Thursday. I mean, generally, guys don't like it that much, and understandably so. Man, that is such a quick turn when you consider the sort of price you pay physically and emotionally. Tough to get up for that game, but you had no problem. That was pretty self-evident. Can you lay it out like the Thursday night experience? What is that like compared to a normal NFL Sunday? Oh, it's a like you said, it's a quick turnaround of you know having a game on Sunday and then trying to wipe everything out that you know your memory and like the 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 notes and corrections you want to get everything corrected for the next 
um, battle uh, the upcoming Thursday. So um, coming back into the building uh, the Monday after the game, like I said, you just wipe everything from there and, and you go on to the next team. Uh, and it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to, especially with your body hurting and everything that you've you know accomplished and went through that 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 day prior. Um, all you can think about is the next game a couple of days ahead. So, uh, good thing we had a home game and we had another one. We had a home game Sunday and we had another one um, the following Thursday. Um, so, I think it all worked out. Yeah, it seems to me, I think you nailed that, right? Like, if you have to do it and you have no choice, best to set it up like that, right? Best to have a home game, best to have another home game on Thursday, and most of all, best to win it. Like, if you have to do it, you better win it, and then that's going to make it better. Just one more thought about that. I'm not trying to belabor it, but you know how guys love playing on Monday night because they're the show, that's the only game, all their peers are watching. Is there any of that feeling to a Thursday night game, or is that just a different deal? Um, I think it's the same thing. Um, I, I feel like the guys who love who love ball um, will watch the game, and, and you will hear them talk about you um, after the game if, if they text you or tweet you or whatever it is. But for me, most of all, um, that, that's another opportunity for my family to see me play. Um, I have a pretty big family, so they aren't able to, you know, come to every single uh, uh, game that I play in. But um, being in South Georgia, North Florida, where my family is right now, um, they don't get you know, the Colts games down there. So um, having those national games, definitely want to take advantage and win those games. So um, it's good to have their support. I like it. Kenny Moore the second joining us once again. Let me ask you about a play you made a couple of weeks back. I know you're looking forward, but you made a great, great play against the Titans. You picked off Ryan Tannehill's first pass attempt. When you came off the man, your man on the inside, to jump the outside receiver's route, it was an amazing play that had Twitter a buzz. I'm curious, how much of a play like that is about pure instinct and you reading it, and how much of it is about film study and preparation and something you've already seen? Ooh, I'm in the cornerback position. You know, we get paid to to make plays, and you know some plays just wasn't drawn up. It just wasn't you know some plays just not expected for for you to make. But you know, having those type of instincts to go get one when you're really not supposed to, um, you just want to make yourself right and tell everybody else. You know, uh, it probably wasn't supposed to happen, but you just make a play out of nowhere. So. Um, that's basically what happened. And, you know, just trusting your keys and just trusting um, the film study, trusting your knowledge. And, you know, there's so much that goes into the game. And, you know, that's one that that I'll remember for sure. That was a great play. Kenny Moore, the second joining us. That was a great play. And you're on a defense that really is stacked with a lot of guys that can make plays, right? Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Rocky Sin. Bobby Okereke, Xavier Rhodes, Anderson Day. Oh, I can keep going. There's talent. There's experience all over the place. I'm curious, is there one or two of you that's looking to set the tone for the rest? Like, how is the leadership divvied up on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, every single time we touch the field, every every game, every possession there is in the game, we always want to say three and out, take away. Um, but it's definitely believing in that and, and trusting in that. And it's just not it's not just saying it and – which it is harder to do than, than say, but um, it's a mentality that, that you have to reach with each other within yourself um, to just go out there and play together. Um, that, like I said, it's not the easiest thing to do. We're still trying to build the chemistry. Um, it's great that we had this Thursday night game, you know, mid season, you know, we we're able to take this weekend off and 
the rest of the season is is all going to count and it's all going to come down to you know how we how bad we want to finish how how great do we want to be so um you know we have a lot of turnovers right now we have a lot of um good things on film but we have to do even better so um each practice it'll it'll be very vital we're talking to Colts Corner at Kenny Moore the second. Kenny, one more thing about Darius. Darius said recently, quote, my name is disrespected around the league, end of quote. Like, he didn't pull any punches. He was pretty clear about that. Do you agree with that assessment? And if so, why does he not get the respect that he not only deserves but has earned? Oof. That's a, that's a tough one. That's a great question, man. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Darius. Uh, the way that he sees things um, – I just always agree with because he he always sees it from you know truth and 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 he sees it for what it is and I definitely do believe his name is you know disrespected and I'm not sure why because I, I feel like if if it was that easy I think everything would be I, I think it wouldn't be a, a question a question at that point but I'm I'm not sure. What, what about yourself? What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I think the guy's amazing. I think the guy's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Honestly, I don't disagree with him, and I think this dude's incredible. I'm not sure what it is. For sure. But I know he's running on that fuel, man. I know he takes the field every single time. I could just, on the outside looking in, it seems like that. I would even, Kenny, ask that about you. Like, you you were regarded as one of the best, if not best, slot corners in the league, but as a position in and of itself, it's a really hard position to play, but it doesn't seem like the position gets a whole lot of love. Is there any part of you that feels the same way about you that he does him and that there's some disrespect that's on your name or not enough respect put it that way yeah yeah I, definitely i feel the same way as darius um i don't display it the way that he does he's he's very vocal about it he's very uh he'll let you know i would say um but yeah man it's so so much goes into this game that people don't even know about and with that being said, just a slot position, I, I just think there's a lack of knowledge on what goes into it. And that's what I feel like people disrespect. It, it's the knowledge about it. Is, it's, it's pretty much everything that goes into it. It's not just – we're not just a normal guy on the field. It's, we – I don't know. Dude, that's I get it. They don't get there. the position. They have no idea what yeah. you're dealing with when you play that position. Right, and I, and we're not always, you know, covering the number one receiver from the other team, but like, th- that's not even what it's all about. You know, we we have to fill in the run game. We have to communicate with other guys. We have to we have to put the outside corner in the position to uh, to win the play. Like, it's it's more chess than checkers. It's not just uh, me versus this guy over here. It's is. It's so many different uh, scenarios through the game where we have to be spot on or um, it'll be a touchdown on someone else or it'll be a touchdown on us. And we're in so many different uh, situations where the game falls on um, the guy who's playing the nickel position. I get that. It's like this bleep is three-dimensional, man. It's not what it appears. There's a lot more going on. Kenny Moore, the second, joining us. You mentioned having to play and support the run game. Let me turn that thing on his head really quickly. I want to get your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor. Man, this guy is a load. He's explosive. He's fast. He's really smart. You knew he'd be something coming out of Wisconsin, but did you know that he'd be this good this soon? And what do you think when you watch him play? (laughs) 
Uh, I think when you when you're talking about giving the team fuel, um, he's definitely the guy who who gives all of us juice, and we're all so proud of Jonathan and and what he's able to accomplish, and just to see him grow so fast. Um, I I feel like he had just come in and. You know, he comes to work every day. He doesn't say a word, pretty much. Um, and, and he just loves ball. He just likes to go to work. So um, it's so great to see him uh, prevail, I feel like. I think he's disrespected as well, but uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to be a great player in this league. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Let me ask you something before you go. This is really interesting. You tweeted this recently, quote, big respect to Calvin Ridley putting his mental health above all. This game was here before us and will be here when we are gone, but the man you see in the mirror every day comes before money and accomplishment at all times. I think that's really a profound statement. Like, for so long, mental health was so taboo in the locker room or really anywhere, but especially in the sport of football. Is this something that you guys now talk about openly in the locker room, or are we still not there yet? Um, I can't speak for all organizations, but the Colts itself definitely talks about mental health. It definitely talks about your well-being um, on and off the field. And we definitely talk about, you know, growing young men to men um, outside of football um, a lot. And, and they preach, you know, having a therapist, having somebody to talk to, you know, being able to trust each other, each other you know, not just on the, on the field, but off, and just supporting each other. Um, and whether or not we talk about it each day, um, I, I believe myself, make it clear to my team that they, that they can always come and talk to me. You know, I can always be that person that they can confide in in, in that situation. But, um, yeah, uh, EJ Spiel, who tweeted that, um, he's a guy that has a lot of knowledge on life, and he's a guy that I like to talk to about, you know, different things. But to see him – but to see him tweet that, he's not a very vocal person, but to see him tweet that, um, I was very proud of him. And I, and I like those words right. dealing with that situation. Yeah, no doubt. One last thought then. Like, for instance, for you to be as good as you are at what you do, for anybody to be as good as they are at that spot, man, it's all-consuming, right? Like, you're all in. It's all-consuming. Sure. So with that in mind, how do you keep the game in perspective? Like, is the game the main thing to you, or is it just an important thing but not the most important thing? How do you maintain that perspective and still thrive and put in the time you need to put in without it over, like, just taking over you? Yeah, just not letting it consume you. Um, That's a great question, man. I, I think definitely – not being too high, not being too low. And that's something that we, we say a lot with football, but um, I like to look at football just the same as I look at life. And you ask, like, where I would put it. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. I love ball. I, uh, I, I value a lot w- what comes from it. Um, but I don't let it consume me. You know, there's things off the field where, you know, like family and, you know, my faith, I don't, I don't want it to come in between those things that I, that I believe in even more. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Respect to you, my man. Kenny Moore the second joining us once again, the Colts cornerback. They're playing really good ball. They've won four of their last six. He's making lots of plays once again. Kenny, I do appreciate you. Always good to have you on this show. Thanks so much. Let's do it again soon. That's a great conversation. Please do. I like that. But of all the stories I've posted on Instagram in the past year or so, 
stories of me, stories of my kid pitching, stories of me being in New York City, stories of me being in the Super Bowl, stories of me being out and about town. This burger had more reaction than anything I've ever posted. And you need to go to Instagram right now because it's because it's posted as a story, it's only going to be up for another hour or so, and then it's gone. Except that Bella screen grabbed it and tweeted it. I didn't tweet it. I should do that. But I'm trying to get you to go to Instagram. So go to Instagram at Jim Rome. Follow me at Jim Rome. Otherwise, if Bella didn't sell me out, this would be the only way to see it. I want you to see the legendary burger that I've been talking about. And you tell me if it lived up to the hype or not. All I know is I'm looking at the reaction, like the emoji reaction. And nothing has even come close to this. Part of that is because a number of you get it and understand. And part of it is because... There are so many burger snobs. I had no idea how many burger snobs there were. You're entitled to your opinion no matter how wrong it is. I'm telling you, this is the finest burger anywhere. And this is not in like some crazy five-star New York restaurant. I get that all the time. Hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? Going to New York? Oh, incredible. What are you going to do? Are you going to go out? Where are you going to go? Are you going to see a show? What am I going to do? I'm going to do this. I'm going to go into my room, make a few phone calls, put on the hotel uniform, sweats, and get some gym roam time for a couple hours, and then nap it out after I get my burger and iron my stuff. The best burger in the world is at this hotel. And I don't even go downstairs for it. They bring it to me. So, burger snobs, not really into your opinion. The second best burger in the world is that double-double down the street in in and out So, I got a question for you. What's the best beef jerky in the world? Old Trapper. There is something to be said for a family business which stands by quality and produces the world's finest beef jerky. Do not be fooled by other brands. All beef jerky is not one and the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper where you can actually see the quality through their iconic Clearview packages. Every bite of Old Trapper is tender. It's never tough because they use only the best ingredients from their lean strips of beef seasoned with top quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke. Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite, and Old Trapper comes in four mouth-watering flavors. Old Fashioned, Teriyaki, Hot and Spicy, and Peppered. So what you want to do is grab and go with a 4-ounce bag or load it up with an 18-ounce bag where there is enough for the entire team. If you don't see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Don't make that mistake. Beef jerky is not beef jerky. It's not all one and the same. Oh, Trapper. So, Bella, you grab that. You screen grab my burger. You're probably wondering, what did I pair that with? What do you pair with the finest burger there is? What do you think? This is also one of the rare hotels that still has a mini bar. So, it gives me options. What do you think I pair that with? That burger. Hey, snobs. I'm here. Give me your recommendations. What do I pair the world's finest burger with? And if you want to know about those condiments, I do not go red onions. Not about that life. Tomato, yes. Lettuce, yes. Hey, Van Smack. 911. Jim Rome is going psychotic on that burger. That's fair. Mark in parts unknown. 
I was going psychotic on that burger. I was beating that burger up. You got to understand, too, how I set that thing up, man. I go so hard, so hard on cardio before, and then I do as little as I can. I eat as little as I can the day of. So by the time I get there after a run, you know, that L.A. to New York run to JFK, the drive into town, not that much food, pretty high level of stress and fatigue, you got no idea how good that thing is. Good night now!